are listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast from the Pierre L. Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship at the Ivy Business School. In this series, Ivy Entrepreneur and Ivy faculty member Eric Jansen will anchor the session. Brent, Joy, appreciate you sitting down and taking the time to have a conversation with us. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. It's great to be back in the building that uh, I've seen built up and never got to attend because it's pretty spectacular. I was saying it's like a Google building or something. Yeah, Google building without the free lunches, but it is, uh, the new students are definitely spoiled coming from the old building. You think with the tuition prices, they would give you some free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll start building that yeah. in for next year. Um, so I'm excited to sit down with you for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, I, one thing I want to get to is the topic of innovation. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, you've had a really interesting career path. And I think there are some listeners who are out there who may not be sure what they want to do. And they're really nervous about the first thing because that's going to ultimately dictate what they do for the rest of their lives. So I wondered if we'd be, if you'd be okay with starting with where were you when you were 22 years old? How did your career get started? Well, with business school and all your friends in the classes on where they're thinking of going does influence you. There's a lot of recruitment on campus from companies that everyone knows the brand names of. So you feel a little compelled to at least peek into that area. So there's all the iBanking and marketing companies and you, you interview for them. And even though you think maybe you don't have the um, grades potentially for some of the iBanking jobs or the um, interest in some of the areas, but you still go down that path. I was lucky that between third and fourth year, I got a job um, for Molson Breweries in promotion. So I had a taste of marketing and and maybe uh, some creating some promotions and different things like that. I was more of a handler and helper, but I got to uh, see that. So when I graduated, I did investigate the advertising world, which I think Leo Burnett recruited on our campus in like the in the 90s, but there was no other advertising agency. So I, you know, basically, I think you have to look up in a phone book. I don't remember exactly how. There's no internet. So I found a few agencies. I reached out to them and had some interviews. And lucky enough, I got a job at one of them. But within that, it was in the business side of advertising. So um, for those who don't know, it's called account service. You're basically a business manager helping to run the advertising account. Um, My account was General Motors. So that was my starting point. It felt like it was the right sort of balance between my business school education and being in an industry that's a bit more creative, which I've always had an interest in. And even through the business school time at Ivy, I definitely gravitated towards like the marketing classes versus the operations ones or the HR ones. So that was, um, it felt like a nice fit. But as I got into the business, I learned about advertising and there's this whole other department that's the creative department which is i don't want to say it's absent of business but it's it's definitely using your creativity to come up with the ideas that's going to really help clients businesses with from commercials to different ways to think about their product um, innovation and that was something that really excited me so it didn't take me long maybe 18 months or so before i decided to put my portfolio together and that's how you had to get a job before you showed a portfolio to different creative leaders and they based on that, decide whether you're creative enough to work in the company. And I got lucky enough, well, I didn't get lucky enough, I got lucky enough to be fired from my account service job, which kickstarted me to get my portfolio together and then uh, get a job in advertising creative. Fired on your first real job out of Ivy? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, And it actually goes on further in, I was fired, I'm not proud of it. Uh, I wasn't proud of it then, but I, in many ways, it's defined me today. I was fired from four out of my first five jobs. And that is, um, you know, it's funny in a way now, but it really helped me. And, you know, people would think, oh, you must have been a real screw up or you told the boss off or what did you do? I actually, in my heart of hearts, don't believe I did anything wrong. One of the jobs, there was a merger. So, you know, a lot of duplication. I had to do some uh, changes there. Another one was a major client left. So some staff reductions, I was caught in for that. Another, a new creative leader came in and they cleaned out the a third of the department and I was one of them. And a fourth one, there was um, my boss wanted to bring in a superstar talent and need to find some salary money. And I was out on that one. So 
case by case, you can rationalize, oh, it wasn't me. But looking back now, especially in the role I am, but also, you know, it didn't take me long, maybe like, well, it did take me long, four of my first five jobs to realize I wasn't making myself indispensable. I was doing an okay job. And that's what one of the best lessons I would tell people today is you have to be indispensable. And that means, of course, doing your job, but raising your hand to do more, getting in front of the senior decision makers. So if there's like a big extra effort pitch or initiative that people are asking for volunteers on, like raise your hand, do it, be there at night helping. If you have to go get coffee, if you have to like do um, real work, whatever it is, be there so the senior decision makers see your face because it's still a human business. And they look at a, a data line and see my name and someone else's name. They see and they go, Brent, oh, Brent's awesome. I remember him. He's a real go-getter. We got we to gotta keep him. And the other name might, like I did in the past, fall off because they just don't see me as indispensable. So it was something that early in my career was really hard. You can imagine trying to explain to your friends and family each time you get fired that you might question whether you're in the right business or industry or whether you, you question yourself and trying to explain to your parents that you got fired again, your, your friends, your girlfriend, it's, it's, it's really tough on your self-esteem. So I know your class is about grit. Grit really is something that you have to like look deep inside yourself to, to find your way. So I sort of roundabout answered that question, but my career did not start off well, like put it that way. So what, what was the self-talk that you had after? I mean, one, one, you get like, okay, two, uh, three, yeah. four. What was the, the self-talk was, is all right. I'm, I'm just going to go back at it again. Like wh what did you tell no, yourself to you, get back you, at you, it? Man, you got to, you question yourself for sure. I, I mean, it's almost blocked out of my head, but I can, um, I can still remember there are times like, I, I think I need to get a job as a waiter, like just to regroup. Because you, you have to actually pay rent still, right? right. And, and and as a mid-20s, 26-year-old kid, still got to go to a bar. You still got to go on a road trip here and there. So, and you can't ask your parents for money. Uh, so it's, you know, trying to balance financial obligations. You have to give the aura to your friends that you're still doing stuff. So there's, uh, you can't see me, but I'm air quotes of freelance. So people say, oh, you're just freelancing and consulting, but you're really unemployed. Starting my own business. I'm Starting your own business. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so there's a bit of that. But you, yeah, I question whether I'm in the right industry, whether I question whether I was good enough. But all those questions were great because it reaffirmed that I do love the business and I was passionate about it. What I learned the most was that comment about indispensability, if that's a word, but I wasn't doing enough. And then my next job, I dedicated myself to the to the role. And I said, I am not going to get fired from this job. I'm going to do everything I can. And I was about, I don't know, 28 or 29. I don't remember exactly. But I said, I'm going to work my butt off every night, every weekend. If there's anything to work on, I'm going to volunteer for it. And through that, you learn a lot about yourself. But also you learn about how to do your job better. So like, oh, if I actually spend extra time on this, I can make this better. Or if I work on more things and you have more time, you put more time into it, you get a better result. So there's a lot of actual learnings on how to do your job better, but there's also just that commitment that the organization sees in how much you're dedicated to uh, the good of the company. So that really launched my career, that next job and my whole mindset. And that's, I can't say I work as hard today, but that has really changed how I approach everything. It's like, you gotta put in the time. I know that, there's probably talk of millennials or millennials looking for more work-life balance. For me, it wasn't work-life balance. It was work hard. And, and when you have time, then you have fun. But it's like you got to work hard. And, and everyone's got their own choices. But for me, I wanted my career to be awesome. And I, I love what I do. So it wasn't – sure, I'd rather go away on a road trip with my friends. But if I'm working hard on a big – thing for a client that's going to, everyone's going to see. I'm just as passionate about that too. So I've, I have some guests come in who talk about different chapters of their lives and I'm, I'm seeing a pattern amongst people who have had some, at some point have had some good early career success. And it often comes with just putting in the work in the beginning. Some people do end up taking their foot off the gas a little bit later on, 
but a, there's sort of a commonality that's coming up where they almost for a period of usually about 10 years sort of fall off the face of the earth. They're consumed in their work, not because they they do lose touch with everybody, but they love it. You know, they kind of lose themselves. They find themselves. They figure out what they're good at, what they're not good at. And that sort of sets up the next chapter. So did, was that how long did that chapter last? Call it you were late 20s when you started that. How long did that chapter go on for? Probably a good 10, 15 years, I, I think. And this is maybe a bit of my losing for my first five jobs psyche, but I never thought it was as good as anyone else. So you're always going into a situation thinking you're the underdog. Um, there's so many talented people in my industry, but also just in the world. And you, when you compare yourself, you're like, wow, that person's amazing. They're going to kill me in any head-to-head -head type of situation. So the only way I can win is to outwork them. So if you always go in with that mindset, probably a little unhealthy, but I have to, let's just take any project. Um, if we both have three hours, they will win, but we don't have three hours. They have three hours and they might go home, but I have all night and my 12 hours will beat their three hours. So that is, I still think about it today. I might've taken the gas off the pedal a little bit. Wait, is that the, the pedal off the gas? Whatever, the foot off the yeah. pedal, you know, whatever. A little bit because once you have kids, it's a bit harder to work all weekend and all night. Um, my wife has been awesome in in taking on so much too. And I, I obviously wouldn't have been able to done, do it without her. But I still believe when there's moments that you have to, you have to put everything to the side. So if there's a major project due, I give my wife a heads up. My family sort of knows, okay, for the next month, Brent's pretty much going to be at work. And because it's competitive. There's a lot at stake in my role now. There's lots of people's, lots of jobs at stake that are depending on me. So you you have to do that. Plus, I know that that's how you get the work better too. Like you got to spend the time on it. So it's uh, it all perfect storm combines into if you work at it and you work harder, there's good results all around. So you spend a lot of your time now. I, I know you wear dual hats in your role at DDB. Maybe you could, let's, let's get to the next phase. So when you, you started really working hard, this was your sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth job, call it, figured out what it was, what your success formula looked like. And then it was mostly then creative work that you got involved in is that you spend most of your time on the creative side then in that new role. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, Sharon Hodgson, the, your Dean here, and I was telling her for the first, I'll say 15 years of my career, I... I told no one that I went to Ivy because being a business graduate, business school graduate, I also have an economics degree, doesn't give that impression of, oh, that person's so creative, uh, which we have to change. I mean, as, as creativity is critical to business, but I was ashamed to tell people I have an economics and business degree. So focusing on creative and early on, it was about disruption and and being different and thinking about things differently. But as I got more senior and you had more client responsibility and you were um, in charge of more people and uh, culture and um, capabilities, then all of the business school learning started becoming more applicable to me. So it's almost like early in my career, creativity was more important and some of the learnings I had in school were less important. But as I, every year and every time I got a promotion or a new uh, senior role, the Ivy education became more important. I mean, today I'm, I'm involved with HR, operations, finance, uh, as well as culture and people and, you know, international uh, things. It's, it's, it's so important today. Uh, so that's, that's the tricky balance is early in your career, you, you might not use some of the stuff, but it's important to have that foundation as you rise in the ranks too. So you've risen, maybe let's fast forward to your role today. So what is it that you spend most of your time on today and what does DDB do? So DDB is an advertising agency, but what advertising is today is very different than what, from Mad Men when you watch those shows. DDB has a lot of, it's a global network, lots of great clients, but what makes our office um, in Canada, our, our offices in Canada are different than a lot of the DDB around the world, but also the changing landscape in advertising. Data is so critical. So we have a very robust data analytics team. Almost everything you do starts with data, including CRM, customer relationship management. So really following 
in, in almost a creepy way, your whole journey through the internet. We know everything about you. May not be you, but might be just you know your IP address or your your Google, um, you know, all the places you go through Google. But we know so much. Facebook knows so much. It's 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 scary. So managing all that, but then it goes into not only mass advertising but shopper marketing. I think everything that uh, the e-commerce sites are doing today is like I used to. Um, believe that the the TV spot was a big thing to drive awareness, and then you have to drive them in, in in store to get them to buy something. But I've bought in so many things, for example, on Instagram, where you see it for the first time, you've never even seen this thing before. You read the review, you watch the little video, and then you e-commerce buy it right there in a minute and a half. I've never seen it before, and I buy it. So that's the kind of change that's really happened now, and all the data we just learned from that. Everyone that is on Instagram. From a company standpoint, know that you own a dog now, and that you watch this video, and then you just bought this, and you maybe didn't buy it that time, but you stayed on it for a minute and a half. So everyone that has a dog product suddenly is buying the rights to advertise to you. So the, all that data analytics, the loyalty, the e-commerce, PR is so big now. Like we talk about uh, social media, and and there's a lot of talk about fake news and all that stuff. Everyone. Needs to hear and see about bite-sized uh, moments that are promoting or putting brands in the public eye. So, those are big parts of the story that we work with too. So, pretty much brands now it used to be paid advertising, TV, newspaper, radio, but now it's it's everything. And we have to be uh, one of the expressions we use at our office is every moment is a moment of truth. Because from an email to an app. Experience to a website to a store experience to a PR event to you know watching a movie and and you see the trailer or a commercial there, all of those are moments that we can really affect how someone thinks about a brand and uh, clients are looking for us to really pick the right moments and be meaningful there and now everything's about conversion so we have to get people to actually buy can't do those three year in three years they'll buy because they love the emotion of a BMW it's No needs to buy like before Christmas. It's like uh, I'm a fan of Ogilvy's work, right? We we sell or else. It's like everything is conversion now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, what types of companies come to you, and why do they hire you? What do you what problem do you solve for those companies? Well, it's changed a lot. I think a lot of the big network agencies really made their way with uh, CPG. Package goods, cons- consumer package goods like uh, the J and J's, Johnson and Johnson, P and G, Unilever. That's what it was the big marketing companies before. Now it's completely changed. Um, they still have a huge uh, role, but with things like Amazon and and Walmart.ca, there those brands are finding it hard to compete. And so you can see their sales numbers and ad spend numbers really going down. At the same time, different um, tech companies. Phone companies are really exploding. There's luxury brands, premium brands are really exploding, fashion brands. So there's a lot of opportunity there. We have also food brands. Like food is food has always been big, but there seems to be a real learning that's happened where we can really promote food from, you know, QSR to uh, delivery services to restaurant chains that have a you know different delicacy that they promote. So food's become really a big part of culture now. Music, as, as your business was, like music is still strong, um, but also under major transformation. And, you know, one of our, our, our global CEO had a story last time she was here a couple of weeks ago. She said, every client of ours is under major transformation. And they're really looking to us as through innovation or, or parts of different ways to think about their business to really give them an advantage against all their competitors because it's every business has changed. Education, as we we're talking, has changed dramatically. Music industries change. It's like everyone that we can talk to or work with, they're they're thinking that their business is under complete transformation, but it's it's everyone. There isn't one that isn't. And so they're hiring you to help them through that transition? Yeah. Sorry, I I didn't quite answer your question. There's, you know, they have to sell product or make money in in, a quarter by quarter now, month to month. 
and how do we get before you do a, a TV spot and and everyone sees it or because you're watching Grey's Anatomy or whatever it is, but now people are spending their time differently. So how do you reach the right people, targeted people with the right message? Do you have the right product offering? So we're working with them on from what the product is to how the product is positioned to how to reach the people to convert them on it. And then even with that, how do the people who buy it become part of your promotion after that? And then how do you get them to buy it again? So the loyalty part of it, those are all things that we can help them with. And, and each client asks us for different things or all those things or, or parts of those things. It's, it's a, some people say it's a really difficult time for advertising agencies, but it's also an exciting time. Like we've built robots for clients. We've built prosthetic legs for clients. We've done big TV spots for them as well. So creativity is being used in so many different ways now. Like when like when I first came into the business, creativity was applied through TV and, and print ads and radio. Now we're coming up with acting uh, machines where or the you know facial rec- recognition softwares with with um, we're a robot that races Usain Bolt that we created. It, it's and, and the world, and that's just some of the stuff I touched, the world is creating things that are curing diseases and helping people in third world countries to uh, have light. We've seen that happen through advertising agencies. It's, it's, it's a remarkable time, it's, but it's a challenge time because the innovation that you uh, primarily speak about, it's unknown. So how to, as a business, how to pay for it. So when we say we want to do this for you and, and clients don't even know how to use it yet, so they don't know how to pay for it yet. So often we do it as a prototyping, which is not a good business model, to prototype. And with prototype, there's lots of failure. So the cost of prototyping is not a good business model to sell one in every 10 things you try to sell. But we have to still keep going because that innovation is what, if you get one of those to pop, it's everyone in the whole world wants to work with you. So let's, I want to get into that. Your, yeah. your actual, how do you innovate? So I, I did some a few friends in the, in the business. And when I said I was going to sit down and have a conversation with you, um, they had a lot of interesting things to say. So I'm one curious that, you who one that stood out, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. So one, um, one said he's done a ton of amazing work for a really long time. Well, firstly, he said he's, he's legendary in the industry. So done a ton of, I said, what makes him legendary? A uh, ton of amazing work for a very long time to be consistently that good is a really hard thing to do in advertising. A lot of creatives make their career on one great piece of work. He's been doing it for years and he's always kept a very high bar. So these companies, why I thought you'd be really interesting to talk about innovation, because these companies come to you to help them innovate. And there's a lot of pressure, like, all right, we're here. We know that you guys do this. Go innovate, help us innovate. So there's a huge expectation because you've done great work in the past. There's the pressure of having to deliver now for this next client. So how do you and your team come up with these innovative ideas? Well, it starts with great people, of course. I would say the one credit I'll give myself is through the last, I'll say 10, 15 years, I feel like I have a good ability to recognize talent. And uh, people, and it might not even be talent, that might be the wrong word, people who have the desire or the will to try to stand out and do something amazing. Because you, you can meet people and just by meeting them know that they just don't, at least at this stage of their career, have it in them to to do what it takes. Similar to probably me in that first five jobs, like if someone looked at me like he's going nowhere, that's a bit harsh, but you know, you meet people, you just they have that spark or that that passion where they're not gonna settle. And they're gonna like a lot of this stuff is after hours over the week, it's you have almost like a day job, and then innovation and, and over and above creativity is the evening job when when you have to order pizza in and you have to give up the weekend, and it might be weekends, several weekends in a row. And some people just want to be a part of that. They want to be part of something really special. So recognizing those people is the starting point. Because last thing you want to do is force people to do this stuff, and then they're not going to put in the effort that it takes. So once you have the people. I think it's important to create the vision or set the tone for the company that this is something that we believe in and that we will 
back. A lot of companies talk about innovation or doing something amazing for the world. And I've heard of many ad agencies, they have these um, get-togethers where everyone throws in ideas as like a brainstorm and you know there might be three or four really good ideas, but then it just sort of goes in a black hole and dies. For me, whenever I see a great idea and I hope my company that I'm at now, but definitely previous companies know if Brent really likes it, he'll find a way. He'll invest in it. He'll put money behind it. He'll take it to clients and, and fight to sell it through. And it might not get through every time, but they know that I'll give it my all to make it happen. So creating that culture of like, yeah, if I put in the time and the effort and, and really work on this, then it has a chance to have life. At the same time, you have to work with clients and say, okay, what are we really trying to do here? Do you... Again, every client says, yeah, we want ambition, we want innovation. And then when you say, what if we had this for you? They're like, yeah, we don't have the budget for that. Or no, we can't quite do that. We just need to have the incremental sale of 1% and just need to get into Loblaws on the shelf. Like, you know, so again, similar to recognizing talent, you have to recognize which clients have that ambition. Like they really want to make a name for themselves. They really have, they'll fight for it internally because often you're not talking to the CEO, you're talking to a senior marketer who will have to go and fight for it, find the budget, find the funding, and also take a risk because it could fail. So these clients that are also kin to your vision of like, let's do something that's gonna, I don't wanna say make your career, but that you can be so proud of, that you can look back over that year or two years and say, yeah, we did that, we did that together. And it was probably so hard I was gonna say an inappropriate word there, but I, it was so hard. But that's when it's worth it. When when others fall down and you were able to keep going. I mean, that's why like the we talked about sports Super Bowl or Stanley Cup. Like it's so hard to win. It's so hard. It's also so hard to do amazing, creative, innovative work. Like I'm sure the people who uh, I actually met with Google to create Google Maps. <laughs> Not easy. Not easy. You have to. Get every street in the world, you know, like that's not an easy task. Waze, Uber, like these new inventions, new technologies, like not easy. So it goes for everything that we do. It's not easy to do great things or else it wouldn't be worth it. So if you, if we were to plant a hidden camera in the office, a client comes in, I know there's many other steps, but says, Brent, we've got this problem. We are opportunity. We want you to help with it. Mm -hmm. They leave. Assuming you've set the right environment, people know that it's a safe place to bring yeah. forward their ideas, you've got the right people on the bus. What happens behind sure. the scenes? I mean, there's a lot of strategic foundation that has to go into it. Like you have to understand the, the audience and the decision making. So let's assume you have all the strategy and the and the the consumer or the the user figured out. And but, but first, so first, then you're doing your own homework to figure out who's yes. the customer. You're doing all that first. We're doing all that, or, or whether it's a user experience understanding or a customer purchase uh, journey. So let's just, I don't know, let's take cars. That's e always an easy one. So if if you they want to market a new car, it's coming out, it's, it's some type of crossover vehicle with a hatchback, and it's maybe it's electric or a hybrid or something, you have to figure out who's going to buy that car. And that's really interesting to think about because a lot of times the buyer might be different from the marketing target. Um, Mini is a good example. Mini, you um, advertise it as a young person's car, um, you know, 25-year-old, having fun, carefree lifestyle. But the buyers are in their like 40s because it's expensive. But the 40-year-old that buys it wants to feel like a 25-year-old. So you advertise 25-year-olds in the lifestyle and the 40 year old goes, yeah, I still got it. I'm 25. I should buy that car. So those are little small distinctions to figure out. So you have to figure out the audience. And also if it's like a, a digital, if it's an app that you're creating, how are people going to use it? When are they going to use it? You have to understand the whole competitive space. You have to understand the product, of course, really well too, because what's the distinct thing about it that's going to stand out? Is the product fit to be marketed as it is? Does it have to be tweaked? If it's an app or a technology, it's tough with something like Samsung or an iPhone because that's so exclusively confidential, you can't affect it. But there are products that we work with, with clients that go, this is kind of it, and then we have to help them finish it. You know, it's really missing this or the UX is off on this. or And then if it actually, once the product is right, 
do we have to tweak it for a different audience? Do we have to have different versions, different colors? It would be an easy one. Um, naming is a big one. You know, naming is a, is a big, like the product might be perfect, but if you get the wrong name, people just don't want to have it. So those are important things to think about. So there's a lot of um, a lot of questions we have to answer to know. I think there's a great expression uh, to have the right answer. You have to know what question to ask. So what are we trying to solve? And those are often the client doesn't drop it on your lap and walk away. It's really worked out together really early on in the proto beta stage. That we work through it all. So when we get to the final stages, we have a really good understanding of where we need to go with the the product or the uh, the messaging. You have a playbook on that. Like these are this is kind of our way that we go about gathering in and, or people on your team that are specialists in that? Yeah. Again, it depends on what the problem is. If it's a naming, basically everything starts with our strategic group. So they're uh, labeled our smart people who really understand consumers. And the strategic group has multiple types of people within it. There's like researchers, there's user experience people, there are people who really understand consumers and their behaviors. And they, they would really take the problem and try to break it down to, this is a maybe an overused word, but an, an insight. What's the real trigger here? From a UX, it's pretty straightforward and like how are people gonna use this product or this app or the experience, um, experiential event or something. But when you really get into someone's psyche about what's really driving them, whether it's something vain, you know, fashion, or like why are people actually buying an iPhone versus a Samsung or, or something? Why are people buying nice cars or more practical cars? Why are people going to a, this hospital versus that hospital? Is it always come down to what's best? Often it isn't. And, and research is tricky because if you ask people, they'll always tell you the right answer that they should tell you. But that isn't always the truth. <laughs> Someone actually I work with said there's an interesting, there'd be an interesting study to look at your social media profile and your Google searches and how different they would be because um, your social media profile, of course, has like everything you want the world to see, but your Google searches are what's actually you're thinking about. So it could be depression. It could be having a fair dating sites, you know, to helping your child who's struggling, but in, in social media, they're a superstar. So. It was an interesting thing to think about that what people say and what people do or think are not aligned. So having great strategists that can uncover those things is a really great um, ability to give us an advantage when we start talking to consumers or users about how they're going to experience something. So it's not uh, client leaves, door closes behind them. All right, let's get a pizza and Red Bull and whiteboards and start yeah. coming up with ideas. So there's a there's a whole process. There's, there's that, a whole strategic foundation that has to go into it. I mean, there are times when it's really condensed. Like you you might only have pizza and a whiteboard time to get something done because who knows what happened to cause the delays or the um, the urgency to it. There might be a, another client launches a, a big news item in the press and your client goes, holy smokes, we need to be in market with this tomorrow What's our best reaction to this? And that is, um, those are tough situations to you because often it's it's a reaction and you're already you know on your heels. So those things happen too. It's also exciting too because whenever there's um, you know, a challenge or a problem or you're under the gun, it often creates, you know, something extra special too, because everyone's. Everyone's willing to take a risk a bit more then. Right. So um, let's assume we've done now, fast forwarded a bit. We've got the right team. We've yep. got the right environment. We've done our background homework. Yeah. Now it comes time to start to, maybe there's not, but how do you actually yep. start to come up with the ideas? Yeah, sure. So then, then you have, um, traditionally they'd be called the creative department, which has expanded so greatly now to what is creative. With... Um, a lot of different companies from advertising to just in general are bringing different types of thinkers that are, you can call them problem solvers, you can call them um, just have a have a knack for thinking about things differently, different approaches. So you bring in these people who could be photographers, it could be 
prototypers, it could be coders, it could be writers, art directors, filmmakers, and bringing them into, okay, how do we, uh, we know the audience or the target or the, or the experience we want to create. We know the insight. Let's say it's it's 40-year-old men want to feel young again, I don't know, is, is the insight, and there's an X product. Then there's, um, you can do different ways, but what we often do is have a sort of a kickoff brainstorm that just gets almost the bad ideas out so we can understand what the world we're talking about is. Often the strategic group, if they're really good, will say, here's a bunch of thought starters already, you know, that will give us some material to even start on. Once you have that, often, at least the way we do it, we break off into separate groups because groupthink happens, which sometimes is great, and you, everyone just gets really excited about something and you spend a lot of time on it and it could really build, so that could be great. But often, it's not the best utilization of people. You kind of want to get everyone thinking about what the subject matters are, but then it's best to sort of break out so everyone can go down their own path. And I, I personally like the competitiveness of it all, that people have to come back and say, I have these ideas and someone else has these. And like, oh, that one's better. And so you don't want to come back with, in a group, everyone gets credit and it's great, but sometimes having that little extra pressure of competition really drive people to to give their all and back to that identifying the right person who really want to make their mark not in a negative tearing down others way but just really want to prove themselves or do something special they'll just drive it a little extra extra hard so there's a whole section where people will um, work on their own thing we might come back and do a share back probably a creative leader potentially a client come back and really sort of narrow like there might be 20 ideas and like, you know, these eight really have some merit and number six and seven are actually pretty close. Maybe we bucket those together and then we might rebrief knowing what we see and learn and maybe we took the insight and just sort of tweaked it. So, you know what, we actually worked on one recently about, um, we're working on a product for the holidays and we briefed it a bit more broadly and we came back and there was these ideas that were much more narrow. It's like, this is actually the idea. So then we rebriefed everyone else on the tighter idea and said everyone to only work on that. And then everyone worked on that and came back in. So sometimes it's not efficient, but for big, important projects, it's worthwhile to go through the exercise to see where everyone sort of goes to see if we actually have the right way in. Then everyone work on that. And then once you have that, then you might narrow down to three or so ideas. And it all depends on the challenge was. Probably the client comes in and you really talk it through on what's going to be right and what's wrong. And then you have to explore the real viability of it, whether it's in production or in a build, timing, cost. These are all things that come into play as well. And what are the compromises you might have to make with timing or cost or even even on how the consumer might, it might take longer to really create the, the change that we want to persuade. This one of these might be a bit further out, so it's like we don't have time for that, even though it's better, we don't have time for it. So, those are all it depends on the KPI to figure out what the right path is forward. Um, they might even like do two or three, all three of them, it, it all depends, or pick none of them, send you back to the send you back, yeah, board. and that happens a lot too. So, how big of a time period does that? Well, it, it could be six months, it could be a weekend. Uh, I forgot to mention, once you get to these days, again, it, it was a bit easier maybe 15 years ago, but now once you're thinking about ideas, you really have to think through execution. So from production, if it's a product, you have to really think about production timelines. Uh, you have to make it in China or in the US, what the costs are, the differences, quality, approvals for legal systems, government. So those are all things to consider as well. If it's more of a marketing thing, then you have to work with media companies. Let's say you have a great idea for cinema, I don't know, and you're like, ah, it's perfect to go with the new Avengers film or something, I'm making it up. Like, ah, you can't, it's already sold out. Well, I had a good one. We had an idea that we wanted to sell something in Loblaws, a new product for Loblaws. And uh, the creative team were like, we're so excited about this new thing. And then we went to our shopper team, our retail team, like, you've already missed the holiday season shoppers, or Loblaws have already bought in their whole holiday program in May, and it was June. So like, oh, well, that idea's out. So again, you have to understand where it's gonna go and the timing of that. And sometimes you don't know because you don't have the idea yet. We wouldn't have had the idea to sell in Loblaws or Sobeys or whatever until you actually have the idea 
because you couldn't investigate the Loblaws thing in advance because there was no idea to sell it in Loblaws. So it, it's it's a lot of um, you don't know until you have it, and then once you have it, you got to figure out all the different permutations of actually making it and getting it out there to the world. So when do you introduce those constraints? Like, would you bring if that idea sell in a major? grocery store, whatever law loss always does matter. Before you brought that to the client to see two sides of it. One is you bring it to them and they say, yeah, that sounds great. And then you come back and say, sorry, actually, we looked into it. We can't do it. We would we would have some experts in execution, production, building that would give you a sense to say, like, you know, that's really expensive. Right. You know, you can't just build that with a 3D printer. It's a whole manufacturing process. And others will say like, yeah, absolutely doable. Uh, I know the right guy who does that stuff and there should be no problem. So there's a bit of, you have to go in with a bit of an idea. I will say though that depends on, again, what the project is. You often, it makes sense to have one that's more up the middle, I'll call it. So let's say you have a, a, a brief for something. You got to come in with one that's like pretty viable, pretty doable, on budget. Clients like, yep, that. The safe yeah, one. The safe one. Okay, sure. The safe one. You got to have the safe one. Um, and you often present the safe one first. Like, okay, so the client almost relaxes. Okay, I got, if push comes to shove, I could put that into market and and I'll meet my numbers and, and everything will be good. My bosses will be happy. And then you might push them like, but if you really want to try something, it'll cost you X dollars more, but this could be really great for you. And then maybe there's one that's like, okay, this is a shoot for the moon one that's going to like change the whole world. So you would hope to have that type of sequencing. It doesn't always happen. You might have two that are the safe one. And again, you have to read the client. The client might be a safe guy, girl, that says that you're like, don't even waste your time on number two and three. Just do like three of the first safe areas that are slightly different. Right. And that's a... I don't want to call it a business decision, but it, it's an experience that senior people should know right away. If you're working with a, a company that's just known to be a bit safer, there's no use killing yourself on you know a new rocket ship. So. Right. Do you think the clients... Do you have favorites going in? I mean, when you go to those pitches, Absolutely. are you kind oh, yeah. of like, oh, this You one. have to. And I do, mean, you, do, you, do you at all push them on it? You know, look, this is the safe one. We think it accomplishes your goals. This one's the team favorite. Yeah. Do you do you ever? For sure. It's probably pretty um, uh, known that clients will ask you what your recommendation is. A good client partner will say, what's your recommend? Because they trust you and, and, and want to hear what you think. I think it's less and less. They might ask you out of courtesy, but they almost don't care what you think. It's because it's their decision. So... But we still do it because we still have our favorites. I think our body language tells you what our favorite. Even if we said nothing, the way you present it, the the support materials you build around it, it's it should be pretty obvious. But at the same time, I've been in presentations for ideas that our internal group is split on which ones people like as well. So those get a little tricky because as the senior person, you don't want to be like, well, it's I'm the senior person, so I'm telling what everyone should like. So you can, um, again, depending on the client, the relationship you have, you can say, well, actually, you know, Susie really likes this one, but I really like this one. So you kind of can't go wrong. Or the total cop out, which I've used as well, is like, depending on your goals, this one will do a great job of this and this one will do a great job of this. So you can't go wrong either one, depending on what you want as your outcome. How do you as a senior person weigh in on those? I always... I'm hesitant sometimes to weigh in, speak too early because mm-hmm. then people, oh, well, I mean, Brent's been in the business for yeah. so long. He's had a bunch of success. Like I can't, now I can't give my idea because clearly I think even now I think Brent's is better. So do yeah. you personally get involved in these? I do. I, I probably can be better at that because I can't hide things I like or don't like. So you want to be respectful. Uh, listen, I, I'm creative at heart, so I understand how hard it is to present ideas, to not shoot it down so hard that people feel demoralized from it. Um, recently, my new work, people have, have given uh, coined a phrase. It's called resting Brent face. And apparently, it's what my face does when I'm clear, dis- clearly disappointed. And which was, it's very funny. It's its sad for me to hear that a little bit because I really do get excited about work too. But my bar is high. So I'll, there's acceptable stuff like, yeah, okay. And my face may not show great enthusiasm. 
and there's stuff that's not good enough, most stuff is not good enough. And that's what your team wants from you to say, that's not good enough. I think they don't want me to say that's good enough when they even know it's not good enough. And then the stuff that I love, which which they'll feel from me and they probably feel it too as they're presenting it. So yeah, I weigh in. I, there's definitely senior people who might be, you know, I don't want to use the word wrong, but less senior than me that I want to make sure that they have their credibility and their authority unquestioned as well because I'm not in every meeting. I don't want them to think, well, their opinion doesn't matter. It's only Brent's that matters. So I don't get involved with everything. You know, I'll pick my spots whether to disagree with someone because it's it's the end goal or the the war, not the battle. So, okay, yeah, I don't love this one, but, you know, Joe does. So I'll support Joe's idea here, even though I prefer the other idea. So you got to be smart about when and where you might speak. Um, obviously, if it's a big deal, a big moment, big revenue, you know, I got to speak up. And, and really also, one of the things I've been working with one of my leaders now on is like, don't, when you know something's off, don't give it time because it, it makes people spin. So if you have like three areas that you're pursuing and you just know one's not there, even though you wanna be nice to the person who really loves it, if you give them time with that and think, yeah, it could be something there, I'm not sure, then they're gonna spend another two days on that idea, even though you know these other two ideas are where the, the, the future is. So as a leader, you also have to make hard decisions just to save them from themselves. And that's that's something that is important too. That's good. I found there was an old article written about you and you said there's, I'm paraphrasing, but you, sort of the team will come up with an idea, but then you talked about the process of crafting an idea until it becomes a great idea. Mm. What is that process? How do you turn good into great? It's obviously iterative and there's a lot of people get involved with it, but I think with anything... I think it was, a, a, again, a, I'm dropping names, but a Google conversation I had is someone comes up with, because um, I asked the Google guys, like, how do you know who came up with Google Maps? Like, it's such a great idea, or, or one of these, like, these amazing things that Google does, Gmail, who came up with G? Like, because who cares who came up with it? We all know the eight people who sat in the room for the next two years that built it. And I was like, that's really interesting, because in advertising, the person who came up with the idea is the hero. And, and for Google, it's like, no, the eight people who built it are. You know, we want to go to the moon. Great. Is that the great idea? No. There's people who actually have to make the rocket ship to get there. So that was a real new way for me to think about that. But it, it's, I think the tech industry has really helped our advertising industry to become more iterative and just keep making it better. Whereas before, again, it was mostly in film situation or print. You like, you spend so much time crafting it until it's perfect and then you put it out there. Say, there it is our perfect masterpiece film. But nowadays, like, here it is mostly, what do people think? Okay, let's, okay, you don't like the ending? Let's change the ending. Okay, you don't like this? Let's fix this. People are dropping off because our data shows they're not experiencing, they don't get the stage two of the app. Okay, let's change that. So there's a lot of data that helps us get better. Just user experience helps us get better. But I would say, I think we all look and it's just human nature. You look at stuff and says it's not quite, good enough so it's if you have the time you have the resources and money you just keep pushing it till until it reaches a standard that you think is great if the product calls for that so on some specific ideas that have turned into great ideas i mean you've won your team and your work you've won a ton of awards a lot of recognition the another person i spoke to in the industry this is a, a friend spencer dingle i'd say a rising star in the creative space i asked what was what was some of his favorite work that you've done and the pain squad campaign for sick kids was one of his favorite campaigns to ever come out of canada so I know that one specifically you were talked about that creative is not a department. So it's not like, okay, bring in the creative people. Mm. Now we need to come up with ideas. So how did you, how did that come together? How did you source different ideas from different people in the organization? I'm really proud of the team on that one. It, 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 it was so unorthodox. I'll say how that created our IT person was married to a nurse at the sick kids hospital. And they're talking about how there's these paper, paper journals that kids with sicknesses have to fill out about how they feel pain. And they wanted to just move it all into a palm, a palm, like a palm pilot kind of thing. And 
the guy came, so the IT guy said, oh yeah, they want us to move it all into a Palm Pilot kind of thing. And we're like, well, that's that really doesn't seem to make any sense. So uh, we went and presented to sick kids like, hey, we think there's a, a different way to do this. So they said, okay, well, sure. Like, what can we do? They had very little money. So a creative team started the project and said, and they had two ideas. Let's make a let's make it um, an iPhone that has some interactivity to it that can be like a game because gaming was growing and kids like games and it might get them because the challenge is people weren't filling out their data and the data is important for helping them manage their sickness like where the pain was how much pain it is pain after certain medications so these are all important things for doctors to know but kids are sick and they don't want to do the journals to keep track of it all so it's a real uh, need so the two games that they came up with is um, a game show and then one was a detective idea so you know we talked about internally and said well it's got to be the detective one so we went and presented this whole detective idea and the kids were like this is great you can see how the kids would get involved there'd be like levels from you know like private to sergeant to captain to full detective and those are the, so there's like a, achievements so it all made sense and then we started to build it out and we thought it'd be great if we had these this is back to the execution these little videos that had someone come on and say hey great job billy like you filled out your thing for two days in a row like you got promoted to you know captain and our our one of our people staff said hey found out about it said hey i'm friends with some of the cast this is now like almost 10 years ago but rookie blue the tv show canadian cop tv show i could maybe talk to them and see if some of them would be the people in it it's for sick kids it's for good cause she told the idea to them they thought that was great but they're also friends with the cast of Flashpoint, which is another TV show, cop show, and they said they would do it too. So suddenly we had all these actors, uh, well-known Canadian actors. One was actually a well-known international actor from Flashpoint, and they did all those videos for free, no cost, in full uniform. So the whole um, wardrobe team for Ricky Blue and, and uh, Flashpoint all volunteered to get them all their gear ready to uh, be dressed. Our IT guy also filmed it all. Uh, we filmed it on our agency rooftop for some of them. I know some of them we actually shot it on, on their set. I remember scenes where some of our creative teams and our staff were holding lighting gear because there was no money. So there was no production team. It was literally our people holding lighting gear and those you know those big white boards to make sure there's no reflection or we did that um, our own guys built the app ourselves and then we of course uh, did user testing with with the children and they loved it and they gave us feedback on how to make it better so it was you know creative people our IT guy staff the person who knew the flashpoint people were our, was our communications expert so she had the connections there our CEO, we had to invest time into this. So he was also a big part of it by saying, yeah, I don't mind us spending all this time on this without really getting paid much for it. So it was it was a full agency effort to get it all together. Obviously a great cause and, and we help kids manage their pain better. So it was great. So do you think it's your... You have an interesting role. I think it's unique in the agency world where you wear dual hats, right? You're current responsible. Role, yes. yeah. you're, current role, you're responsible for both the, I mean, the business mm -hmm. and the creative. Yes. Um, so, do you think that getting to also run the business side of things, do you get to shape the culture, have a bigger hand in hiring, and have like a broader picture, and that is what helps you put resources or the right people towards the creative side like do these two help one another in theory yes or would you be better off would a creative person be better off spending 100% of the time on the creative I think it depends and I know it's a bit of a couple answer but the hope is and the plan and the path is the dual role is helping us to be more creative with our product because I can have final say on where funding goes and time goes and what our culture is I would say the creative person often is the lead in the culture for the agency anyway. But the challenge for me has been I'm not spending enough time on the things that I want to. I think that's everyone. Like You just don't. But f for sure, more so for me now because 
creative in some ways can someone else can do it so the the next in command people can sort of drive the creative but big business decisions financials you know the ceo has to be in those meetings and has to be in those big client meetings that are talking about you know fee and revenue and we're looking at dealing with new york or the cfo's there like those are, i can't send someone on my behalf so i have to do those and then whatever time is left i can spend on the creative part i wish it was more balanced especially in an industry and in a time where the creative is so important so that is but i'm only um seven months into my new role i think maybe the first seven months i have to spend it on the things that are the most transformational for our agency in how we work I'm hoping that the the percentages can skew more towards creative over you know, the next year. Um, that's the hope. And I think so. There's a woman named Judy John who is arguably the most successful creative leader Canada's ever had. She was at a place called Leo Burnett, and she was the CEO, CCO as well. So she really and I had I had, I was pretty good friends with her, and she would tell me, yeah, like I I knew that some of the key decisions I was making is really going to help affect our product to be better. And in my previous organizations, when I was the creative leader, I had a great CEO too. So we were pretty in tune with some of the decisions we made, but I knew at the end of the day, it was her call. My CEO is a female. Her call on that final decision outside of the creative realm. And I didn't always agree, right? So now it's, it's my call, right or wrong, and through my filter of creative product, I'm making the decisions. So I think clients recognize when they're working with DDB, the chief creative is also the chief exec, sends a message. For everyone that comes works at our organization, they know that's the case too. So it, it starts to create the culture of, uh, and this is our global positioning too, we are doubling down on creativity. Um, our founders, a guy named Bill Birnbach, who was really the, uh, gives credit to, or he's given credit as who brought the whole revolution of creativity in advertising. I think advertising before was, you know, like basically announcements of what is new in product. But Bill Birnbach in the 60s really brought in creativity as part of what advertising could be. So that's what our founder created. And our leaders globally are saying we're in this whole world of data and analytics and all these other things that are... Um, you know, AI or whatever, creativity is still the thing that's going to move us forward and what our clients really need from us. So uh, I think it was a good decision for me, obviously, to take on this role in within this company. So how do you figure out how to split your time then? Do you, are there any hacks? I'm not looking for hacks. That's the wrong word. But do you have any habits that you out to use to plan your weeks or days or allocate your time or decide what to focus on i think the people i surround myself with really have to help me the creative leaders have to like bring me in in those key moments where they really think it's an important moment i think the business side leaders also have to respect i might not be there all the time for them because i'm focusing on something else because they again know that end result of our product is most important so they might forgive me not being part of a financial call or i'm in a you know big creative presentation so i'm not in an operations meeting so they might do a bit more as well everyone's taken on a bit more so i can do you know not a good job on both right. so and uh what do you do to keep things are changing so quickly in that space what do you do to keep learning and stay relevant are you travel a lot are you reading a lot what, what do you do to stay relevant i think this goes again goes back to my being fired out of my first four to my first five job i absolutely believe that if you don't stay relevant and you can't contribute a lot constantly that you're going to be left behind and be if you have to be indispensable so i out of insecurity or fear partly unhealthy try to keep up as much as I can because if I don't like I'll be irrelevant so in our industry like I'm always reading about the latest thing it's partly out of fascination because it's it's so exciting our our industry and, and innovation and all the new things that are happening but it's also because I know I have to and um, 
clients are looking for that from me. I, I have to have conversations with clients all the time, and I, they look to me to be the one pushing them. I can't have clients tell me about a new technology that's coming out or marketing idea because then I then what good am I to them? They, they're looking for me for that. Um, at the same time, like I, I really enjoy as an agency positioning everywhere I've been to be the as much as we can be the industry leader in the cutting edge. So all, I'm always pushing my teams like, let's what's the latest thing? Let's keep pushing on that. Again, trying to attract the right people that think about those things. So it's something that um, I want people to teach me. I keep learning. I do it for both good reasons and maybe a bit of uh, insecurity reasons. You've won a ton of awards, including 25 Can Lion Awards, uh, top ads of the year, bunch of recognitions from Fast Company for top ads and innovation. Is there one campaign or award that stands out as doesn't have to be your proudest but a really really proud accomplishment i think the sick kids one that you mentioned is important because it really changed at least in canada what an ad agency could do solving real user problems it's tough because it has a bit of a that that thing of it's been 10 years or so since then so what's the frequency bias or something so Sometimes, I, as much as I love innovation and technology, our team did a in New York did a Rolex campaign for the Oscars that is so beautiful and just amazing and engaging that I love that what they did there. We I mentioned that prosthetic leg that we built came up with it's an amphibious prosthetic leg. It was the first one for um, a veteran. Typically, when you go swimming, you have to take off your prosthetic leg to go swimming. Um, or put on another prosthetic leg that swims and one that walks. So again, an unmet need, no one thought that that's even important, but our team had this idea because you can't, so people with with um, prosthetic legs can't do a triathlon because they have to put on different legs for swimming, for cycling, for running. So the first idea was, can we come up with the first triathlon prosthetic leg? Now there's a lot of rules in the Olympics and Paralympic games that don't allow you to do certain things. So we went, okay, well, there's still a need here for people to come up with prosthetic legs. We work with this hospital com- hospital systems to invent the first amphibious prosthetic leg. So there's like dozens of people in the USA now that have these legs that allow them to walk on the beach with their kid and then go run in the water and swim, which is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to ask you quickly about celebrating with the team. Mm-hmm. So conversations especially in the startup world that i've been a part of you're moving so quick and trying to grow so quickly that we often fail to stop and celebrate yeah Um, is there something anything that you do as with your teams when i guess the award shows are a great reason to stop and pop a bottle of champagne and celebrate with everybody but what do you do to recognize when you to you as a team do something well well but currently for sure there's there's monumental moments that happen that you can't help but celebrate. So a big award or um, a big client win as well, or a big campaign gets released. Those are obvious ones, I would say. And of course, there's um, times of year, like end of the year uh, celebration, holiday party, or it's usually a summer event as well that people come together for. Um, But our company does a good job every month we have, uh, it's called Hot Dog Friday. And everyone comes together and we celebrate people, we celebrate successes, we celebrate um, new hires, say goodbye to people that are, are leaving. And it's a great moment for everyone to just come together and look everyone in the eye. Everyone's usually got their head down. So this is a moment where we can all see each other. It's called Hot Dog Friday, but it's not hot dogs. It's it's like a pretty good meal that we spend pretty good money on for people have a it's got to be good enough food. People come to it. So um, people come and they have a conversation, might have a guest speaker that does it. So it's a great way. It may not be a celebration like rah-rah, but it's a celebration of us coming together, which I think is important in our industry because I was going to use the word collaboration, but I actually sort of vetoed the word collaboration in our office to change it to interdependence. Collaboration is helping. Interdependence is we depend on each other and we need each other to be successful, which is, I think, a, a stronger word to create that um, desired result. But yeah, I, I don't, I would say overall, though, I don't think we do enough. 
to answer your question, I think our industry is in a, in a difficult time too because the revenue isn't what it used to be. So sometimes celebrations cost money. If you're a big, great startup making lots of money, you might you might be able to have that big party and fly around to Disney World. But if we have a, a good summer party, then we'll we'll take that. Yeah. That's good. I like Hot Dog Friday. I had envisioned like barbecued hot dogs, but you you go a little bit of yeah, a step up. It's a good start. Our, our founder went to a client lunch barbecue or something. His name is Frank Palmer. And they planned this whole barbecue event, but then actually no one was working the barbecue. <laughs> so he said, I'll do it. So he cooked hot dogs for everyone at this event as a very senior person at this client event. So he became famous like, oh yeah, he's the guy that ran the hot dog barbecue thing. Cause he said, basically it's like, if no one's gonna do it, I'll do it. So it became Hot Dog Friday. We have a whole room dedicated to him called the Frank Room. And it's got all these ketchup tops that design his face, basically. So, um, yeah, he was a, a pretty remarkable person. That's awesome. Yeah. Last one. Is there any advice you'd give your, call it 25-year-old self, if you could rewind the tape back to 25? I mean, my my experiences were quite different. So I would say, like, don't don't give up. Keep at it knowing that where it netted out, stay the course, don't get too down on yourself. Um, you don't have to have it all figured out. And um, of course, I would say maybe you want to learn a bit quicker to uh, work a bit harder. But I think life is pretty hard and it's probably harder today for the 25 year old. So I don't know what the status, but people change their jobs um, five times in their career or something, like not even just companies, like the actual career that they're doing. So I think it's pretty, there to say like don't put too much pressure on yourself the world's the world's hard enough so you know that's enjoy good. yeah that's good good advice this has been great thank you so much for i know you've got a lot of demands on your time so i really appreciate you absolutely coming down and great sharing some of your life lessons and uh hopefully listeners find it quite valuable thank thanks you again thanks appreciate eric it. you've been listening to the ivy entrepreneur podcast to ensure that you never miss an episode Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit ivy.ca forward slash entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.